0: Every time I start one of these videos, my family makes proper fun of me and they think it's hilarious. So this morning, I thought that I would begin differently and throw it back on them and see how they feel. Regardless of that though, we are here to listen to God's Word and so if you missed the Bible reading, you can turn in your Bibles now to James chapter 2 and read James 2, 14-16. you want to push pause on this video, go ahead and do that and then come back. So that's James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. One of the uh, mantras in our world over the last couple of decades, uh, and, but especially at a time like this, has been around that we need to remain positive. We need to keep on believing. We need to uh, keep the faith and stay strong in faith. Uh, and if we just believe, then we will overcome. Uh, it's a sort of a model of of self-actualization. You've seen it often in sports people, in their victory speeches where they believed in themselves, or a coach believed in them. and and so this this idea of faith belief um, in our world today uh, is really more just about uh, staying positive and staying the course. And it has very little to do with biblical faith. But as we know, The way that the world goes, it does influence the way that we think. And so we need to carefully look into God's Word, deeply look into God's Word, hear it, and do what it says. So what is it that the Bible, Christian faith, uh, what is it? What does it have to do with? What does it look like? Uh, How does it make itself known in a person's life? Uh, Christian faith is a wholehearted personal response of trust and commitment to the promises that God has made to us. And it always shows itself in a changed life. Faith faith takes risks because it trusts God. Faith, that is true biblical faith, is costly in action. It's knowing uh, what God has said and responding appropriately. Faith that knows a lot but never leads to a costly commitment is not biblical saving faith. In fact, if your faith costs you nothing there's a really good chance that it's worth nothing. If your faith is real it will inevitably reveal itself in good works, in the way that you live your life. And in the way that you interact with this world. Real faith always reveals itself uh, in good works. Now what James is dealing with in our passage today isn't uh, that works can save you. We know that we're saved by grace through faith. So he's not saying that works can save you. And he isn't saying that we need to add works on top of our faith. What he's actually saying is that faith And works are tied together. They are two sides of the same coin. Uh, Works um, are the outworking of a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Only uh, the kind of faith that demonstrates itself, that shows itself in tangible ways, is real saving faith. That's at the heart of the message uh, of James chapter two. So let me just break the passage up into two sections. Firstly, verses 14 to 20, cheap faith does not work. And secondly, verses 21 to 26, costly faith works. They're incredibly uh, simple little titles to break the passage up, but I will think that you'll see that they're not simplistic. So firstly, Cheap faith does not work. Look with me at verses 14 to 20. Uh, James begins by saying, what good is it my brothers and sisters? Uh, What good is it fellow Christians, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, fellow Christians who are facing trials and temptations, who are looking into God's Word, who are seeking uh, pure religion, of keeping a tight ring on the tongue, of looking after orphans and widows and keeping themselves unstained from the world. What is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save them? And it's implied, and especially if you read the Greek, it's implied that the answer is no. No, such faith cannot save them. Uh, Cheap faith is firstly, in this section, faith without deeds. Uh, What good is it? Well, it is of no good. It is useless. There is no profit. This kind of faith cannot save. Just as hearing without doing is useless, So faith, when we proclaim it, or we speak it, or we say that we have so much about it, faith that is just spoken without any action is also useless. James breaks off into his first illustration. James loves giving us illustrations, so I don't have many illustrations today because James gives us all of them. He says, here's an illustration of this faith at work, or faith without work. What happens if a brother or a sister is without clothes and lacks daily food? So somebody in the church, somebody in the congregation, and they uh, come to you uh, and you are aware of this, maybe they knock on the door, maybe you see them, and you see that they're, they're half naked, they're barely covering their decency, um, they are sick, they're unwell, they're malnourished, and you say to them, go in peace, stay warm and well fed. God bless you, God care for you, You maybe even you, you pull them aside and say, hey, let me pray for you. And when you depart, you feel pretty good about yourself. You said all the right things, you maybe even prayed, um, but you don't give them anything of what the body needs. What good is that? And then James slips in his application. In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. You see, nobody would do that. Uh, Nobody when confronted with a situation like that, I hope no one would would ever do that and just speak words to the person who is suffering horrifically. Um, And James brings those two together and says, but but if you say that you have faith and you have no action to back that faith up, it's as useless as saying to that starving, freezing person, God bless you, I will pray for you all the best. Uh, That's... Uh, the first thing um, that James is uh, trying to help us to understand that words that do not issue in actions are actually worse than useless. Uh, the words act as a cover-up, a cover-up for my failure to love that person. Remember what we learned last week about not showing partiality, about the royal law that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? It's really easy to put, use words uh, as a cover-up, to leave ourselves feeling good, but to leave a person completely unhelped. And what James is actually saying is that when you do this, you're dealing in death. You're dealing in your own spiritual death, because it shows that your faith isn't a real saving faith, and on top of that, you're dealing in that person's death, because you could have helped them, you could have saved them, and yet you withheld. So you're dealing in death on two different fronts. It kills you and it kills others. Now friends, how true is this? I mean, how close uh, to home does this actually cut? Um, Where it's so easy to say the right things, to say the Christian words, but never to actually back those words up in generous, sacrificial, uh, gracious, deeds that are full of mercy going out of our way to serve other people and yet that's just the physical side of it. On top of that James says that there's the spiritual side of it that actually says that it brings your salvation into question when you speak the words that sound incredibly faithful but there's nothing to back up those actions to show that they are actually real When we do nothing, when our faith does nothing, when our faith costs nothing, when our faith sacrifices nothing, when we refuse to get involved in the messy side of the Christian life in relationships with other Christians, when we will not risk anything, what does that say about the kind of faith that we claim to hold to? Uh, Words without deeds do not work faith without the actions to show that that faith is genuine actually reveals that faith is not genuine saving faith. We might have faith, it might be some kind of faith, but it's not a faith that saves. Then someone sort of interrupts and says, um, verse 18, but someone says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works. It's kind of like you get there's this sort of interrupter, he says, you know, but James, that's all well and good, but you know, there's different kinds of people in the church with different kinds of gifts. There are those people in the church, and they're activists, and they like to do lots of things. But you know, James, our faith is also genuine. We like to sit and to think about faith and to talk about faith and to make sure that we're getting the uh, point of the passage right and theologically correct. No, we might not be activists in that sense of the word, but we still have faith. Um, We like to think about it, and we like to talk about it, but we don't like to do very much with it. And so then James goes into his second illustration. He says, You believe that that God is one? That's good. Even the demons believe that. And at the very least, they shudder. You see, cheap faith might have all of the right answers and might be able to say all of the right things and might have all of the correct theology but when there is no uh, change when there is no transformation that takes place in that person's life then it doesn't matter how much you can write about God and the Bible and Christian things how much you can remember or recite or say it is of no use in actual fact, he says, you know, this is the good, but you know, even the demons believe. Even the demons are orthodox in their theology. Even the demons could say the creed as good as any one of us. But you know something? They don't believe. Uh, their faith is a useless faith. Uh, because there's no transformation, there's no repentance that comes with it. There's no obedience. They might be accurate and correct, But accuracy without change, uh, commitment um, without transformation, is completely useless. And what's even more scary in this whole thing is that when we talk about these the demons—they—they—they they, they know the truth, and they actually feel that truth emotionally. I mean, this is like—he's almost saying something positive about the demons that he isn't saying um, about what's going on in some people's lives. So the demons believe, and at least they have an emotional response to that belief. They shudder at the thought that God is one. Uh, They—they—they they're tre- tremble at it, but not so with these people. They might recognize the power and the purity of God, but it does not change them. And so James says that for for anyone who claims to have faith and yet has no works that accompany and show that that faith to be genuine, they're actually in the same camp as the demons. Faith is not just mental assent. Faith is not just emotional experience. Unless uh, faith uh, captures the mind, unless it takes uh, hostage the emotions and leads them in uh, a slavery to Jesus Christ that changes the life, transforms the life, brings about an entire a new trajectory and course for that life, it is still cheap faith. And cheap faith, James says, does not work. Yes, that transformation will be costly, but it costs you nothing to mentally assent or to agree. It costs you very little to utter words like Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That costs you nothing. And there's this danger where we might mistake emotion for the uh, truth of living out God's word. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, who has lived through this in his own life and is so desperate to make sure that none uh, turn away, or fall away, so desperate to make sure that if someone is found to be an error, that a brother will turn them and bring them back, wants us to know, wants all Christians to know that the way that we know and experience our faith as a genuine faith is in the way that that faith works itself out. The way that it costs us. The way that we take risks. He's already spelled it out for us a lot in chapter 1 and 2. It's the way that faith experiences trials and temptations. It's the way that faith hears God's Word and puts it into practice. Uh, The way faith keeps a tight rein on its tongue and looks after orphans and widows and keeps oneself from being polluted by the world, those are all of the good works that James is talking about. It's a faith that uh, sees people all created in the image of God and doesn't show partiality. It's a faith that when confronted with basic human needs, especially that of a brother or sister in Christ, reaches out, not just with words but in actions. So that's the first thing that James has to say. James then brings this section to a close in verse 20 where he says, You senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? So it's important to note that although James is trying to jolt us out of um, this uh, place where uh, we are just apathetic because of our faith, He's not being judgmental. He's saying, you can learn, you can move out of this. If you're willing to learn, uh, you don't have to be this person. And that's really his segue into the second thing that we look at in verses 21 to 26, which is that true faith is costly faith. So faith that works, he set this whole thing up. Faith that doesn't work, faith that is useless, faith that it was without profit, faith that is like the demon's faith that's in the first section. So how does the kind of faith that James wants us to have work? And he gives two real-life people who, in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, exercised true biblical Christian saving faith. What I love about James is that he doesn't deal in the hypothetical or in the detached. He deals in the everyday uh, real life. And so, He gives us these two stories. Uh, The first one is the story of Abraham. Uh, Abraham put his whole life and his whole future on the line at the moment of testing and trial. And we'll see that Rahab does exactly the same thing. They show us through their life example how costly real faith is. Because real faith is stepping out in sacrifice and in action based on uh, the crazy calculus of God's grace. Here, Abraham, we're told, was justified by his works. That is, his works uh, demonstrated that his faith was a real, living, active, genuine faith. So remember, James is not saying here works save you, and he's not saying you need to add works to your faith, he's saying that faith is proven to be real saving faith when it is seen by the fruit of the works that a person does. So what were the fruits of Abraham's works? Well God had promised him over 25 years before that he would have a son. He waited and waited and waited for that son. Finally that son arrives, The promised one, the fulfillment of all God's promises. Abraham's seed, his line, and one day God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and go and sacrifice him. And Abraham does exactly that. And just at the moment, you can go read about this in Genesis 22, just at that moment uh, before Abraham is about to kill Isaac, God tells him to stop, and he provides a ram as a substitute for Isaac. See, God had never intended for Isaac to be killed, but he was testing Abraham's faith. Uh, how costly and how much risk risk was Abraham prepared to take? And so we read on um, that he was justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar. You see that faith was active. It was an active faith. It was active together with his works and by works the faith was made to be complete. It was seen to be genuine. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now that's back in Genesis chapter 15. So the story actually goes backwards. You know those crazy movies that they begin at the end and then they end at the beginning and you're not really sure where you are in the movie? Well, that's kind of what this verse is doing. It's uh, going right back to where the scripture said that Abraham believed, and God credited to him as righteousness, and what is more, he was called God's friend. And so you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So that's the first story that we have. Uh, Real faith is seen in action. The second story we have is of Rahab. Now you can go read about her story in the book of Joshua. The Israelites cross over the Jordan River, Two spies go into the city of Jericho, the king finds out that they're there, Rahab takes them in and she hides them, she puts the soldiers off of their scent, and then she helps them to escape. And when they're escaping, she says, please will you remember me? You see, she had somehow, uh, in God's economy, come to believe in the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And she believed in him so much that on that day she was willing and prepared to risk everything to save God's spies. It would have cost her family and herself their lives if they'd been caught. And yet she risked it all because she was trusting in the Lord, the God of Israel. And then James closes, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, this is another illustration, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The spirit is gone, but the body's dead. And so faith, if it doesn't have works that accompany it, that are genuine, that show it to be genuine, that justify it, well, that faith is also a dead Faith. So, what do we see in all this? Well, we see that real faith is seen in action and cheap faith is not. Cheap faith is happy to confess, but there's never any conviction. Cheap faith is happy to be orthodox in its belief, but there's never any obedience. Cheap faith is happy to be influential in all of the words that it speaks, but is never prepared To get involved in the messiness of christian relationships true faith when it connects our hearts to god will unfailingly show itself for it is by faith that we take grasp of god through jesus christ and a new energy uh, draws life from god that manifests itself in the way that we love him and demonstrate that love in loving others in the way that we keep ourselves from being polluted from the world, in the way we keep a tight rein on our tongue, in the way that we don't show partiality or look after orphans and widows, or count it pure joy when we face trials of many and various kinds. Faith uh, receives the spirit of the living Christ and he changes us, he changes us into those people. We can't be those people on our own. We need him to be at work at us so that when we look deeply Into the word that gives life, we don't forget what it says, but we do it and we put it into action. That's what James is calling us to. He is worried uh, that we will be caught up in the error of faith that mentally assents and agrees to the stuff that the Bible says, but doesn't ever manifest itself or make itself known in the way that we go about living our lives. You see, true living, genuine, authentic faith will be busy and active and mighty in work and deed, for it is impossible to not increasingly do these things when God is at work in us. For the person um, who um, knows neither faith nor good works and yet talks and talks and talks about faith with many, many words. There is a grave danger. Faith that is real is faith that is seen in the way that we live our lives. But faith is all real faith isn't just seen in the way that we live, real faith also costs us everything. Cheap faith costs us nothing. The Christian life Uh, I'm sure you've experienced, is not boring, it's not flat, it's certainly not smooth. The Christian life experiences growth um, in the midst of great trials, in the midst of great difficulties. It is through many tribulations, after all, that we will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so many of those manifest themselves in and through our relationships with people in this world. Remember, James chapter 2, it's one big chapter, so he's thinking last week about how we treat people and how we live out that royal law. One of the important things to remember in this whole thing is um, with the stories of Abraham and Rahab, you know, we don't think, as far as we can tell, they didn't wake up. Abraham didn't wake up that morning knowing that God was going to put him through this test. Rahab didn't wake up that morning knowing that, that two spies were going to come across her path and she was going to have to save them. You know, that's the nature of uh, tests when they come, is that we don't know that they're coming. We, we might train our whole life to be ready for them, and yet these tests come. And when they come, what works, what actions, what deeds will flow out of us when that opportunity arises? I want to say something positive at this stage. You know, when we, uh, when this whole lockdown thing first started and um, we partnered with Mitchell's Plane, it was so wonderful that our church was able to recognize that need. And I really do think that that's uh, something that's worth celebrating. That was faith in action. And it was faith in a big, grand gesture type of action. I feel that as a church, we did well when we, we passed that test by helping those brothers and sisters in Christ who are significantly less fortunate than us to make sure that they were clothed and well-fed and could keep the lights on. Uh, But it's not just in big, grand gestures either. It's just in the small, quiet, little things that we sometimes get along with, uh, where we demonstrate that faith in action. It's not, look at me, look at me, and all the wonderful things I do, but just in those quiet, small things. You know, Abraham, he was alone up on the mountain. Rahab seemed to save those spies Pretty much on her own, apart from her family. And yet, when the test came, they acted on it quietly. But God saw, because we know that God always sees. And so, the test of your faith may come to you when you least expect it. But when the test comes, what will you demonstrate? A genuine uh, faith, uh, not just to God and to others. Uh, but a genuine faith that actually helps you to recognize the assurance of your own salvation that, hang on, this is real. And I, I actually, you know, I, I know I'm stumbling along in this whole Christian life thing, but hey, I, I got that part right. You know, that's what we're looking for. Not strong, big faith, but faith at work. Faith that works. Friends, let me try and bring this to a close um, not just celebrating some of what we've done, and we've celebrated some of what people have done in our own church along the way over these last few weeks, showing, I think, genuine faith at work and in works. But let me also, let us just turn a little bit inwards and, and ask ourselves the question, you know, in the last 12 months, what has God maybe been pushing you towards in terms of taking risk? You know, putting your, your faith on the line and taking a risk for Him to show him that that faith is a genuine faith? Or, or what is it that, that God has asked you to give up or to give over to him? Or what does your faith cost you in the last 12 months? Or what risks have you taken in the last six for the kingdom of God and for his glory? When we talk about faith, we're talking about the reality of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who not only made us for himself, but was then willing to sacrifice his son and give him up willingly, not sparing himself. You see, God uh, demonstrates his faithfulness towards us by graciously uh, giving us all things with Jesus Christ. And that is why true faith is based on God's crazy grace that he's shown to us. Uh, God, the Father of lights, from whom every good and perfect gift comes and who does not change like shifting shadows, he has paid the great cost, the infinite price. And so what faith does is it sees the risks and it recognizes the costs. But faith sees the treasure that we have in Jesus and that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from that. When we understand this, and when we understand that grace and faith change absolutely everything, it will completely transform every calculation that we could possibly apply to the risks that we are asked to take by the Lord. If we already have Christ, and sometimes God calls us to give back to Him what is already His, it might mean some suffering. It might mean some hardship, it might mean some heartache, but when we act like that, it shows that our faith is real. So friends, let me ask you this morning, what kind of faith do you have? Would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word minds to understand it and transform our wills and give us the courage to put it into the action. Father, would you enable us to take great risks for the kingdom of God and regardless of what it might cost us, may we go forward acting in love towards you and others because we know that this is part of genuine saving faith and we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings with those words that we so long to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. Father, may this be our hope and our God. In Jesus' name, amen.